0: What's up, you guys? Welcome to episode 24 of Talk Healing to Me. I'm your host, Christian Nicolai. and in this episode, I speak with Ariana Metalia. She is a licensed counselor who focuses on working with teens and adults within the Albanian community mostly. So she's a first-gen Albanian-American like I am, so we definitely relate in that way, so we talk about that a lot. We also talk about the Gen Z experience. We talk about gender roles we talk about how our community has grown but still needs to grow we talk about forgiving our parents um, emotional maturity all these different topics like this conversation was so great i was so happy with it when we were done i was like that was beautiful she's just articulates herself so well and she's so open about her own experience and uses that to share points that I guess I never really put together. So she makes you think in a different way about certain things. And that's what I love. I love bringing people on here who help me see things differently or bring new points to me. So I'm going to stop talking now and just let you listen and find out for yourself. Okay. Hi, Ariana. Hi. Hi. Thank you so so much for joining. thank you for having me i've had my eye on you for a while actually i've been wanting to ask you for a while but i feel like i kind of just go with my gut when i'm ready and ask the person so now here we are
1: thank you so much i'm really excited to be here me and Medea actually had talked about like the idea of a podcast a while ago but i know it's a lot of work so happy to be hosted on somebody else's for now it is
0: honestly a lot of work to keep going, but um, it's worth it. Yeah. But I've had her on, so now I have you on, and I know you guys did a Q and A recently. How did that go? Actually, you had that on Instagram, right?
1: Yeah. Um. We had. I I had done other stuff on Instagram during the pandemic. I really opened my therapy Instagram page during the pandemic, and. I think a lot of people were doing like the IG Live, so um, I had thought about doing that with Medea because, honestly, I feel like curating posts is a lot of work for somebody just to kind of scroll through, and they might get a little tidbit of advice, but to actually reach people answer their questions that might feel more personal, the best format to do that is really through video, like answering questions that people have either pre-submitted, allowing people to comment. And the purpose of my page is really to just reach more people, specifically more Albanians, Mm -hmm. because I can only have so many people in my practice at one time. Right. And for financial reasons, for, um, I mean, legal reasons, even sometimes uh, i I mostly see teenagers, going. and teenagers don't are not allowed to under certain very slim circumstances, but generally not allowed to um seek therapy without the approval of parents
0: mm. and a lot
1: of parents won't get their kids' therapy. so this is kind of like my next best thing of how do I reach. Albanian teenagers and maybe offer them some psychoeducation, offer them access to a therapist. Um and and I think the online platforms have been a really great way of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um what do you feel
0: like led you to this work in the first place and specifically to
1: working with teenagers? Yeah. Um I I actually always knew I wanted to be a therapist. I um, also talked a little bit about this on the, the IG live, if anyone wants to go back on my Instagram page and look at it. Um, I had started seeing the school counselor probably when I was in middle school, just by on my own. Um, my parents had split up when I was like 10 and I had obviously middle school friend drama, right. As every other (laughs) preteen girl does. And, um, I started seeing the school psychologist and she actually ended up moving to the high school the same year that I was moving to the high school. So I just kind of continued seeing her every now and then just like popping in for a visit, like, oh, this happened with so-and-so my friend at school. And she was such a good support. And I took a psychology class. My senior year was the first time that they ever offered it. It was just a coincidence. So I knew going into college, exactly what I wanted to do. Oh, that's um, yeah, really lucky. Cause I know a lot of people and the people that I work with struggle with that. They, the, you know, the teenagers that I work with have no idea what they want for themselves. And, uh, it's a really difficult and specific type of pressure that they feel like I'm going to choose something for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even knowing the field that I wanted to get into, there are still a lot of options about which specific discipline you want to get into, what type of setting you want to work in. So there's always going to be choices that we're faced with. And I, I feel like looking back, I was kind of presented with opportunities. Um, I had an internship at a hospital that led to a job. And I kind of had this itch to work with kids. So they had a child clinic and they had offered like overtime for anybody who wants to do extra work at the child clinic so I volunteered for that and then this children's hospital opportunity came up and I interviewed for it and I I got the job and I started working at the children's hospital for a few years and I just I really always found myself gravitating towards like high school college age students.
0: Okay. Um
1: I kind of want to revert back to
0: You talking about your experience working with a psychologist or psychiatrist. And um, you said that your parents were going through a divorce. And back then, not that it's so long ago, but (laughs) back then, it was still not as common for Albanians to divorce. Do you feel like that affected you as far as like connection to the culture? Um,
1: I feel like my connection to the culture was already a little murky because, um, I'm the youngest of three. I have two older brothers Mm -hmm. and when my brothers were growing up, we lived in a house in Yonkers with like my cousins, my uncles, my grandparents, there was like 20 something, like 30 of us living in a house when I was a toddler. And then at some point, my um, dad and his brothers became, I guess, financially stable enough to buy their own homes. And we were lucky enough to move to, you know, like a small neighborhood in Westchester um, that is really like upper middle class to upper class. Mm -hmm. And we were on the quote, like poorer side, (laughs) but we were still in like an upper-class neighborhood, you know? So everybody there was American. I had maybe like two other Albanian families that actually I grew up with. So yeah, on the weekends I would see my cousins and I would go to like my Daya's house a lot. Um, My mom, I have a lot of Diazia's, so I was with them a lot. And being that my mom had custody, um, I mean, they shared custody, but I was living and going to school with my mom. Um, I spent a lot of time with like those cousins. Um, My dad's side, my uncles owned restaurants. So I was growing up, like going to, Il Galeto and Top of the Meadows that they owned growing up and we all always had these big events so in those moments I felt very very connected to my culture very very connected to my Mm -hmm. cousins and that didn't change so much when my parents split up there was definitely an air of like shame Mm -hmm. and stigma by the community that I started to notice probably like middle high school kind of just like the way that people would maybe say like you know, well, my mom didn't have it that bad. Did she really need to get divorced? And comments mm-hmm. like that. And like, you know, sorry to my parents for airing out some of the personal stuff, but I do think it's really important to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so There was a lot of uh, shame specifically targeting my mom about how, you know, other women are getting beaten and abused and their husbands are drinking and doing drugs and, and they're staying with their Mm -hmm. (laughs) husband. And I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which I'm like, I, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but everybody does what they think is best for them with the information and the options that they have available to them. Mm -hmm. And my mom had an option. Um, and my parents are both amazing people and I have a, a fantastic relationship with both of them. And just because it didn't work out between them, doesn't mean that there's anything, you know, that there doesn't have to be anything like blaring wrong for people to just be like unhappy.
0: Yeah. That's, I think that's <laughs> the, the hard parts. people like there's a bare minimum of like what certain people expect. Everyone has different levels of what they expect in a relationship. And you don't have to have the extreme, extreme of like abuse and the like to be unhappy in a relationship. But the old school mentality believes that you stay together no matter what. For the children and for your reputation, yeah. But your mom was pretty brave to do that around that time. She was still brave, but.
1: And you know what? I have learned so much coming into my own self as a woman, as a married woman, to see what my limitations are, what my boundaries would be. Where would be the point where I think I like? What would be my line? for myself and my marriage. And I I think it's such an important concept to um for Albanians to explore the idea of being happy and holding your partner accountable and holding yourself accountable to be good for your partner.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that the real testament to having a healthy marriage is having that connection and that openness and the ability to communicate your needs and have the support of your spouse to meet you there.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's a constant dance. It's a constant negotiation. And, you know, my, my marriage isn't perfect. We were like little kids when we got married. We, I was 21, he was 24. Oh, wow. And now I'm turning 31 and he's 34. Oh, so wow. we're we're 10 years into marriage and we're still always figuring things out about ourselves, about each other, and going through new phases in life and going through um financial and medical and uh mm-hmm. family, you know, all of those trials and tribulations test people.
0: Yeah, especially like, in your 20s, like oh yeah, so much figuring <laughs> out to do like. I am just now like, and I, I was 30, no, 31 when I got into this relationship with my fiance and like, I couldn't imagine if I got married to him in my early twenties. That's just my personal experience. Yeah, we we're
1: kids. It's, I literally look back. I like my running joke is like <laughs> when I'm with like my parents or my in-laws and we're like, oh yeah, you guys are hitting your 10th year. I'm like, who let us do that? you guys allowed us to get married as literal children but that was normal to them
0: it was very normal that's like when I was a kid I thought I was gonna be married by I like wrote it down we made this like little portal thing I don't know what you call it do people do it in like elementary school and then they put all these time
1: capsule
0: capsule, that's what it's called and I put down that I was gonna be married by like 22 and have kids my first kid by 23 and like yeah not even, was
1: <laughs> Not even yeah, close. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. And I'm I'm happy. And that uh, something that I think is funny about like our generation is I think a lot of us are still getting married young. I mean it's like kind of sparse, like half and half, right? Yeah. But it, I do see a lot of um Albanians in our generation still continuing to get married in that like early 20s. But then like we need to have kids and I feel like that's our stake of resistance of yeah. like you guys can make me get married, but you can't make me have kids yet. Yeah. Oh, but you're
0: going to hear it. You're going to hear
1: it all <laughs> those years. When are you going to have yeah. kids? When's your turn? It's your turn. I know. But thankfully, my my in-laws and my my family have been uh, very understanding and encouraging of Good. our careers and our financial stability, too. Um, so we've only recently started to hear it, but we're like, Hey, we're right. We're right there with you. We're on the same page. Like, <laughs> Just give us an extra year. Or so yeah, there's there's um,
0: definitely a lot of pressure, but, um, I think that varies within certain, you know, your family, like how your family is versus someone else's family, but.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think where I felt, uh, the biggest kind of disconnect was that I was growing up as a teenager Living in two different worlds and Mm -hmm. essentially having two different identities. And I literally still struggle with this and talk about this with my therapist to this day. Like it comes up almost every session of like, well, these are your two sets of values going head to head. And really, that friction that I feel is between my Albanian identity and my American identity. Mm -hmm. So when I was in school, I was the Albanian girl. I was the girl that had the two older brothers that no guy was allowed to talk to. I was the one who's going to like, you know, just, (laughs) there was a lot of like jokes about like me being this like beautiful girl at school. And I was desired by a lot of my classmates like in high school. And Then also being like untouchable because Mm. my brothers and my cousins are gonna beat their asses, or like I'm gonna get like married off, or you know, whatever, just like all the stupid stuff, like you know, childish like jokes. And I I was laughing along with it. But then when I would go with my dad and my stepmom, I would go with them like every summer to Kosovo. My stepmom's got her whole family in pay. And mm-hmm. I would do the, the trip with them because I just like loved going back. Um and I would be like the American one who doesn't know yeah, how to speak um, Albanian well enough, yeah. who dresses differently, acts differently. And <laughs> I'm like, where do I fit in? Yeah, yeah.
0: I remember that so vividly. Like in high school, if I would hang out with the Albanian group, they'd be like, You're so American. You're so American. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And then if I hung out with, like, American Americans that didn't have a strong cultural background aside from American, I would feel like like I didn't fully fit in there either. Because, like, the stark contrast between what my home life was like and hanging out with my cousins and my aunts and uncles, my it was just so, so different. And I didn't know how to fuse them or blend them together to form one identity. I didn't start doing that until probably like the last five years of my life when I started healing and forgiving certain
1: yeah. aspects of the culture that I was so angry about as a yeah.
0: teacher.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we all definitely felt that anger and can't, I'm, I'm like the one that's always I, I don't think I'm like a rebel maybe some people might <laughs> think I'm a little rebellious mm-hmm. but I'm definitely a loud Mouse mm-hmm. and I've also, <laughs> I, I always have been <laughs> like in what way I will, I will always I've always like since I was a kid challenged my parents challenged the status quo like I literally started a union at the hosp- my hospital that I worked at <laughs> like and I nearly like got fired for it, obviously.
0: Wow. Good for you. Yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm a fire starter for sure. And I'm always like a, you know, the challenger, but for good reason, you know, for like pushing a broader view for pushing the ideology to catch up with the times. It's not just for the sake of like making people uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Are both of your parents from Kosovo? Sorry, this is so random, but I just wanted to know. Oh, no. My dad's from uh, Molise, from uh, Voutani in Plavroussi. And my mom is from Dreboy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So neither of them are. Neither of them. But I think everybody kind of, everybody really moved here at the same time to America. So my parents actually, although they're immigrants, they grew up in the Bronx. Really? They oh, came really? from middle school, I think. Oh wow, that's early. Yeah, my dad's the youngest of all of his siblings and my mom is like the third youngest of all of her siblings. So they really kind of half like like as teenagers were in the Bronx.
0: Oh, that's something. So, so I didn't never thought of this for some reason, but thinking of what how What um order they were born in affected them? Like my dad's the youngest, also. Yeah. And then my mom's like the third youngest or second youngest.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow, I never really sat and thought about that.
0: Sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
1: no, birth order makes a difference, and I, you know, there's something specific about being the oldest child, and Mm -hmm. there's about being the youngest and sometimes even when there's a lot of siblings you kind of get split up into chunks of like these are like the older four these are the younger four and they're kind of like treated differently so you definitely see how your parents grow and how your parents change in their styles as they go through different stages of you know their kids too and raising their kids um but yeah my my parents were teenagers in the Bronx and they both um you know everybody was still like arranged marriages at that point um my dad is him and one of his brothers who actually stayed and went to school in kosovo were the only college graduates on his side of the family and i don't even know if anyone on my mom's side graduated college um but my mom always wanted to go to school so she was very you know school and career driven my dad was too so they always encouraged that in us um, and I, I know that that was kind of like a priority. So even when I told them, I was like, Oh, you know, I met name and I, we want to get married. And my parents were like, are you sure? I was oh. like, yeah, I'm so sure. I'm 19 and I know exactly what I want. Oh,
0: wow. <laughs> it's so, like usually the opposite.
1: I know. Yeah, no, there was definitely not really like pre- there, there was not direct pressure, but there was the indirect pressure of me like seeing my brother get married when he was 21 and my sister-in-law was 19 mm. seeing my my brother after him like you know dating and like getting engaged and you know i was like oh this is what you're supposed to do and even yeah. the kids in my school knew that right they'd be like but you're supposed to you're going to get married like you like that was a thing that really was normal to the my expectation.
0: Yeah, I don't know um, if it was like this for you, but I remember when I was younger just like thinking about going to weddings and your thought processes like even as a teenager like my possible future husband's going to be here,
1: you know what I yeah. mean? You know what the funniest thing is? I I don't know what made me think about this recently about I I guess it's like it was prom season recently. And I remember me and my friends talking about prom dresses and stuff and like budgets for our prom dresses. And I told my two like best friends, who I'm still best friends with, um, that I was like, well, my mom's willing to pay a little bit more, like, my budget's a little bit higher for my prom dress because she said that when I'm a new set, I can rewear it. Sweet. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> just say, but but sarah and eva were like yeah yeah i get it yeah totally that makes sense oh, like, i love it that's so funny like, even if my friends thought that was normal
0: now nowadays kids no would never
1: oh my god so that's i was so literally funny. like picking my prom dress that one day when i'm a new i will rewear this dress to somebody else's wedding
0: oh my god that is so funny
1: so it's not something. And I think a lot of people like that have conflict with their parents of like, well, you pressured me into this and this and blah, blah, blah. And the parents were like, I never said that. I think it's this like, it not, doesn't need to be said. Right. We just know that this is what's expected of us. We see the way that you behave. We see the way that you gawk at other 20 something year old brides. Mm. We see the way that you talk about, you know, other women. And then I internalize those as my expectations. Right. I see that my brother, you know, married an Albanian and he did all of the right things and how he's being rewarded for that. And Mm. I'm eight years younger than him. So when he got married, I was 13, 14 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And I am also like, I didn't have a big sister. So my sister-in-law is my big sister, like Mm -hmm. to this day. And I would like, look at how she behaves and what she does. And when people come over, what does it mean to look like, you know, acting like a noosa. So we internalize all of these messages and that we get from the outside world, whether they're verbal or not.
0: Because we're always mm-hmm. looking for reward or whatever ways um, we can be shown love.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And then also me, you know, being twenty one and entering a new family and seeing how they function and what their expectations mm-hmm. are. He's Albanian, like, your husband. Yeah. Yeah. He's Albanian too. Um. And so it's like seeing the difference, even when I when I went to college, uh, and I met other Albanians there really for the first time outside of my, you know, small town in Westchester. Um, it was the first time that I was like understanding a larger worldview. And I think that's, what's so valuable about like getting out of your, your hometown. Um, I, I wasn't allowed to go away to school. So I was like commuting and it was still in Westchester, but I was meeting people of a variety of socioeconomic backgrounds, a variety of cultural backgrounds, and then meeting other Albanians and realizing like, oh, my parents maybe weren't as strict as I thought. But in comparison to my American friends who were allowed to go to house parties and do whatever they wanted, I was like, you know, screaming at my parents crying, like, I'm not allowed to do anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting how, when you get exposure to other people, other experiences, how your worldview changes. And I think that's something that's really cool that teenagers now have access to on social media that we didn't have access to in the same way Mm -hmm. that they can like watch videos of people talking about themselves and they can see what other people's experiences are like through, you know, TikToks and, and Instagrams and Although all of those things are curated, of course, um, that access to information is still pretty cool and, and valuable. I think. Oh yeah,
0: it's definitely changed how the next generation is going to move in life.
1: Yeah, and I think the reason why we see such a stark difference in um, Gen Z's, you know, presentation and mentality is shaped by social media in in the good and the bad way. Yeah. Uh, a lot of social comparison. It's a lot of overwhelming information. And that can, you know, cause the, the anxiety, depression that we're seeing arise in. But also they are more open than any other generation. And yeah. they're more um, progressive. They are more self-aware. They're yes. more aware of societal needs. And, you know, they, they have information at their fingertips and they kind of grew up with that. Yes. So. I, I mean, they're going to be leaders in their own right. And I think I love, you know, helping them and hearing their perspectives for that reason. There's such a, it's such a special part of your life to transition through your adolescence into your young, young adulthood. Mm-hmm. And I I love being part of that process with them. It's, it's really magical <laughs> to be able to kind of take them through I mean, even two years of working with one client, I'm seeing such a turnover in their personality. It's wild. That's
0: amazing. So this brings me to ask this question I'm really interested to know, because I made that post recently. I don't know if you saw it, where I kind of broke down the three generations, Mm -hmm. parents, first generation, second generation. And when I got to the second generation, I just kind of put in what I have seen, but mm-hmm. i realize that i'm not exposed as much to that generation as you are so like yeah. i would love to hear what the struggles are because we all str- go ahead i'm looking at it right now okay we all struggle in in different ways and i know my own struggle as a first generation yeah. and i know my parents from their stories and from having parents that are immigrants but yeah. i don't have kids And I'm Mm -hmm. not necessarily close to anyone who's Gen Z Albanian, so I don't know their struggles that differ from ours.
1: Mm -hmm. It's funny because it's a lot of the same stuff, (laughs) but I see. um, You, I think we're always going to struggle with that identity piece Mm -hmm. because being Albanian is such a strong identity to begin with. Yeah, it is, and there is this idea that we should be like blindfully patriotic mm. and I see that a lot in Americans too especially in this kind of like post-Trump era that yeah. it's, it's this like blind patriotism when in reality even if we think of personal relationships that we have with people if I really love and support my best friend and I really have their best interests at heart I'm always going to challenge them and push them to be the best version of themselves. Mm. I'm going to say, I don't like that guy that you're dating and I think you deserve better. Mm. And you know, this habit that you have of XYZ I think is really like detrimental to your well-being and I love who you are and you know, I think you should stop, you know, work on doing not doing that or um you know, you're different when you drink, smoke, whatever. And I, you know, wanted to like point that out to you because it's not who you are. Mm. That's love, right? Like holding my best friend accountable, holding my partner accountable, my family. Um, I believe that you can be better and I want to be so proud of you. And the same goes for our culture. I want to be so proud of being Albanian. I don't Mm -hmm. want the idea of Albanians to be, you know gangsters and and low lives and yeah, seriously. you know people who are just like this kind of war torn third world country like i i want i don't want women and and men to feel boxed in by these gender roles and expectations and you know, being like a hard ass is the only way that a man can like express himself. And that's a very fine line between being a protector and being uh, an abuser. Mm. And for women, it's like, you know, being ibut and being quiet and, you know, not having opinions, but then, you know, I I want the women to feel like they can explore and um, to feel a sense of self as well. It's like, why are we projecting all of these expectations onto people to perpetuate a culture that's so far behind in the times. Some people think seem to
0: think that we are pretty advanced for where we are, which I will admit we have come a long way. Like I think me and you can both say that that's definitely sure. the case because me coming to my dad and telling him that I am met a man and he's not Albanian and he has a kid he didn't respond like, yay, you know, I'm so happy. (laughs) But he did not respond the way he would have 10 years prior. If I was 21 and I came to him that way, he would not have responded that way. Um, So we can obviously say that times have changed, but there are still ways that we need work. And if we just bypass all of that and pretend that we're just so perfect, you know, pride, Albanian pride, like we're, we're amazing and we don't talk about the ways that we need to grow, it's just going to, we're going to be stagnant as a culture. And I just, that's not how growth
1: works. You know what the funniest thing is? When I would go overseas with my dad and my stepmom every summer in my teenage years, I was floored at the difference in progressivism in Cusso's. Crazy, crazy. Compared to my expectations when I was in New York. Yeah. (laughs) I remember like I have a cousin that's exactly my age over there. And she was like allowed to date and she was allowed to like, you know, join like clubs and sports and like go out and stuff like that. And like, I was just like, what do you mean you're allowed to have a boyfriend? Like, what are you talking mm, about? Yeah, and all the kids over there like dated. The girls would go out, and again, this is in Pristine, so it's not like a Khatun. And I know that in the villages, it's, yeah,
0: it's different. Was
1: still very much so upheld that in that way, but just to be like in a city and then going back to my city and having completely different expectations. What I always say is that when your when our parents came here that's when the clock stopped for them.
0: Mm, yeah. So if
1: they came here in the 60s, their way of thinking remained in that time. It was, again, a time capsule, right? Like yeah. it remained there. And I, I think people, it was completely out of fear of losing themselves and losing their culture. Yes, yep. And there's a way to embrace change and understand that culture is an ever, it's a living thing. It's not something that remains stagnant in time. It's something that continues to progress and change. I mean, what, what is American culture? If we look at the 1920s and how, you know, people were treated like prior to the industrial revolution, the way that humans and families and marriages functioned is very, very different than it is now. So culture changes and develops and grows with advances in technology, advances in knowledge and expectations and science. And that's a necessity for people to continue I expanding. Evolving. Evolving. Yes. Yeah, because
0: the culture, I think we mm -hmm. mistake what our culture represents, like the things that we can keep we decide what we keep and what we bring forward. Like we can keep the traditions as far as our music. We can keep the foods. We can keep the clothing and all those beautiful things that make our culture. The language. Is, the our, language.
1: Yeah. We fought for our language. Mm-hmm. We fought to keep our language. And I, it's something that's extremely special to our, our culture and our identity. And we can keep the family values and we can keep, the um collectivist kind of like it takes a village type of mentality but we can do without the you know gender roles we can do without treating women as second-class citizens we can do without like you know catering to a man a, a boy's fragile ego like i i mean come on like we can develop beyond these typical expectations
0: Also, the personality traits that we connect to is like being angry or being, you know, being tough, tough exterior and not expressing emotion. Those things are not inherently Albanian. It's Mm -mm. just something that happened within our culture because of war war and all the things that we've gone through
1: as a people. Um, a, A lot of the concepts that we talk about. Uh, in therapy turn out to be when it comes to like culture identity, turn out to be like a microcosm of this like macro view of what our culture is, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you've heard the concept of like, you know, have when people experience trauma on an individual level, they develop these survival mechanisms. And then when you're in safety later on in life, those coping skills become maladaptive. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's not helpful for me anymore to be constantly panicking or in a state of suspicion about other people because other people have, you know, harmed me when I was a child. And that's something that I need to, you know, work on as an adult is like shedding that and feeling safety. Mm -hmm. I think we as a culture at large need to also shed that. Mm -hmm. And realize that we are in a safe space now, generally speaking, we're, you know, we are safe, we are financially stable as our generation, and we have more freedom of choice more freedom of self exploration. And um, I actually have a post on my Instagram about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like Mm -hmm. a pyramid. Yeah. And at the bottom is like safety. And at the top is self actualization the concept of the hierarchy of needs is that I can't work on social needs, self-belonging, you know, thinking outside of myself when I don't have my basic needs met. Right.
0: Right. 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 Which is where a lot of our parents were.
1: Yeah. And we can have compassion for them, right? Like we can have compassion and empathy for our parents, um, and approach them with kindness. And I think that's the only way to combat that anger that you talked about that we had growing up of like, why don't they get it? Unless it's
0: an abusive, I don't know how you go about that. If they're abusive and you, you just being around them is just unsafe altogether. That's a tough
1: one for people to navigate. I think it is. It really is. And I, um, I don't know that there's a general answer to that. I think that's definitely like more so on an individual basis and it depends on the parents' progress and themselves. And it depends on, you know, the individual's capacity and, um, you know, that, that is where we see a lot of that disconnect and, you know, that very strong, not even really boundary setting, but it's just kind of like cutting people off sometimes. Sometimes it has to be that way. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so. another line before that of like and I I think where people get caught up in this like well it's not abuse there's there are things but that come before that that still induce discomfort and emotional instability mm-hmm. and I had talked to you before about it, like emotionally immature parents yeah and this is a something that I think is like rampant in our culture. Um, and I think especially with, you know, first, uh, we see this difference in like, you know, first generation Americans and our immigrant parents. Um, and even I think first generation Americans, we're, we're working on this. This is where the concept of like reparenting and inner child work comes from, is the idea that like our parents couldn't serve us in the way of developing our emotional sense of self because they don't know how to do it for themselves. And a lot of times, you know, I I hear people say like, well, my parents weren't maybe abusive, but there there's this air of like, emotional dysregulation, emotional instability, walking on eggshells, not wanting to make my dad angry because then he'll scream at everybody. Mm. You know, my mom's gonna, like it's, it's that kind of like kids coming home from school and depending on whatever mood their parents are in, they might get like punished for something. And then that like inconsistency. Oh yeah. And that still affects people, even though that's not abuse. It can lead, you know, it can be emotional abuse. Mm-hmm, it can lead to feeling unsafe in their own yeah. home. Emotional safety is real, mm-hmm. and a lot of beings don't understand that concept because when you come from a war-torn country, the safety that you're focused on is physical safety. Yes, and when people experience trauma, and it remains unattended to it becomes emotional instability
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. and it becomes very difficult to manage and they continue to be dysregulated and mm-hmm. that affects the next generation yeah so I think a lot of um our parents clash with us and I see this a lot with my you know my teenagers too whether they're first or second generation, is their parents doing better than their parents did and there is an acknowledgement of that like you know my parents were physically abusive but i'm still you know the parents might still be you know emotionally dysregulated as per their teenage kids that i see right so the parents are definitely you know improving and they're not maybe physically abusive towards their kids but there's still this like unhealed part of the parents that is now being projected on to their kids still right so i feel like a lot of the kids that i see um and even what i've experienced like even amongst my family members you know like cousins and stuff like around my age is how do I deal with the anxiety, the pressure, the lack of understanding that my parents have mm. they'll want a close relationship with them? And that becomes really difficult for us to navigate because our parents n- might not have the capacity to reach us there. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, um, I mean,
0: I think it's obvious if... The parents are sending their kids to therapy. That's a sign of growth, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Do you feel like when you're speaking to these teenagers that you see that the parents are doing their own work? Or are they only sending their kids to do... Like, they see how maybe their own wounds are affecting their children. So they're sending their children to do the therapy and the work. But are they doing it themselves as far as, like, first-generation... Yeah,
1: usually not. (laughs) A lot of, a lot of parents, you know, born here will, uh, be open-minded to the concept of therapy. And I think they very much so value my expertise. And I really like appreciate that, that they'll, you know, call me for check-ins and they'll be very understanding and kind of default to what I am observing in their kid. Mm. Um, but I do get, like, you know, the panic phone calls of, like, this is just not working. They're not getting better. Like, what's mm. happening? And I'm like, well, they're living in a family structure that is continuing to behave in the same way. So, it's really hard for this teenager to shoulder the responsibility of altering who they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they're not pointing at themselves.
0: They're pointing at the kids. No,
1: no, they're not. So it's it's definitely a a conversation that I kind of have to like teeter on. But I think what I work on with the kids specifically is what do I do if my parent just doesn't get it? And they will never understand. Mm. And what if my parent doesn't do the work? What's the... Ramification on my relationship with them. And I think that's really, really hard because we as a culture are so, you know, family oriented and collectivist that we do value what our parents think and feel and we want them to be proud of us. Right. So, how do I teach kids that like it's okay to be your own individual? And if your parents don't get it, then what does that mean for you?
0: Mm. If you could speak to the first generation, all being Mm -hmm. an American, on the importance of doing their own work in order to help
1: their children, what would you say? I hear a lot of, you know, that's great that you do that, but like therapy won't work for me because I, and, and I essentially get to the point where I'm like, because you won't allow it to, that's mm-hmm. the only reason why therapy won't work for somebody is, you know, of course you need to find a therapist that you mesh with, that you yeah. um, have to rapport with, which is huge. Very huge. But Really beyond that, if you have a good relationship with your therapist and you feel like you know you're on the right track, you go as deeply as you allow yourself to. Mm-hmm. And I I think people don't want to go to those depths because it's painful. Mm-hmm. It's scary as humans, we are, you know, have animal instincts to survive. And that means both physically and emotionally maintaining our safety. And it feels very counterintuitive to like, deliberately go every single week (laughs) and talk to somebody about things that are going to make me cry.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I, I think that there's this fear of losing who we are, Uh, at our core losing our culture losing our sense of self if we go into therapy Mm. and instead is what what we're doing is preserving ignorance Mm -hmm. and not reaching our true self and full potential
0: yeah I think people are also afraid of the unknown what might come up what they might lose, people they might lose, unhealthy people that they kind of cling to because it's what they know, that maybe Mm -hmm. if they do the healing work,
1: that they might want to separate from those people. And that's a scary thing. Absolutely. It's terrifying. If I do more exploration, will I be happy? Is this relationship sustainable? Is Mm -hmm. this structure sustainable? And then what does that mean for me? What does that mean for You know, my kids, if they have like, you know, little kids, it's it's a huge endeavor to take on. Mm -hmm. And I still think it's worth it anyway. Absolutely. Because I've not only professionally obviously seen growth, but I have personally seen growth. I've gone through many therapists and I've been with mine for like over three years now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you have that connection with somebody, and when you are able to vulnerably and fully look inward and have somebody hold that space, that non judgmental space for you, and their job is to help you get closer to yourself and who you want to be, mm-hmm. it's transformative.
0: It really is because most of our wounds come from unhealthy. Relationships or connections to others, and if you can find a healthy connection or relationship with maybe your significant other or a therapist, that mm-hmm. in and of itself can be healing.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So i I think a lot of people resist therapy because they don't want to address the depth of their distress, mm-hmm. and they have become so used to feeling their symptoms of anxiety discomfort like that walking on eggshells around their parents Mm -hmm. um, that they've just learned to tolerate it and they've learned to cope with it and they also haven't had the experience of being on the other side and seeing how freeing that can be
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and people function in patterns and in systems And the chaos that you know is going to be more familiar and more comforting to you than the chaos that you don't know. Mm -hmm. So it's like, am I really going to upend all of this? But for my kid, my kid can see a therapist because I see that their grades are plummeting or they're not like making you know friends in school or the pandemic I think really was uh, an awakening for a lot of like those first generation Albanian parents to be like, oh maybe it would be helpful for my kid to get a therapist because they saw the effect that it had on people and everybody was talking about mental health Mm. during the pandemic, right? Yeah. Yep. So I got a lot of calls at that time. And of course it's a step in the direction that we want to go in and it's helpful for the next generation. But I I really want to encourage like our generation to also do the same work Mm -hmm. because you will be a better parent to your kid. Mm -hmm. You will be a better spouse and you will be a better, you know, child to your parents and friend and you'll be the best version of yourself if you challenge yourself and if you show up for yourself to do so.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not too late if your te- if your kid is a teenager or in their 20s. No, no. You're showing them that no matter what age, your mental health is important, that there, there's a chance for you to improve and become better no matter what age.
1: Yeah. There's always going to be work to be done. And I'm continuing to see that with myself. Mm-hmm.
0: Same.
1: Something that like there was a button that my uh grad school professor would always want to push with me about my culture. We had like a multicultural class where we all had to be very vulnerable and talking about like our upbringings and like each person got a day to basically do a presentation about their entire self, mm. how they learned about their gender identity, how they learned about their sexuality, how they learned about their cultural identity, their race racial identity. And we had to go in depth and write like a a huge paper about it and then present it to the class mm. and literally in a circle and had people in the class like ask us questions about ourselves oh, and man. really digging into that introspection it was like hot spotlight on you like the whole it's time insane. and I remember talking about the war in Kosovo and talking about like 9-11 and how those things kind of like shaped my world view and, um, but specifically the war, my parents were very, I-, I would come home from school and the TV was on to the war. Mm-hmm. In
0: Always. I was
1: not sheltered from it at all. My parents were involved in fundraisers to help raise money, to send weapons overseas, um when we every year we would go to Kosovo we would drive by you know the the Yashari house we would go to the great like it was very much so in our faces so of course I grew like a hatred towards Serbs and I had like a hard line of like I will never even speak to somebody that's Serbian like and I dug my heels in that right and my professor would be like why are you holding on to that Mm. so hard mm. and he challenged me to realize that I feel like I would be less Albanian mm. if I was open to being friendly with somebody who's Serbian or t- having a conversation with them that it would mean for me that I'm less Albanian. Wow and betraying
0: being albanian
1: yes there would be like i'm betraying who i am Mm -hmm. so a lot of albanians hold on to traditions and aspects of our culture that we think mean i am more albanian because i do this and i'm less albanian because i do that and i see this with a lot of men specifically too and women in a different way but i think um men hold on to the structure of like, and if I'm, you know, I have to be the head of the household. I have to be, you know, aggressive. I have to be the one who is making all of the decisions. And that's just not how things go anymore. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's a partnership. There's a dual household. You also don't need to be, aggressive and borderline abusive in order to have order and respect in your house yeah mm-hmm. of respect is something that's attained through abuse right also. which is what
0: they were taught and their father probably you know yes shoved it into their brains like you have to be this way or you're not a man and then yeah. So they grew up like this is how I get my father's love is if I show that I'm Buddhist peace. Like I'm.
1: So I feel terrible for the box that we've created mm -hmm. for men to show their masculinity. It's such a narrow, small box with chains. Seriously. Do you still
0: see it a lot now? Like today in 2023, do you still see that happening?
1: I do. I do. I see a lot of men our age in relationships with women and feeling the need to, um, in very subtle ways, control what their wives are wearing, mm. how their wives are presenting themselves, um, encouraging their wives to alter who they are when they're in the presence of you know other people. Um, those kind of subtle, like I am going to alter my personality and my values based off of my audience and women do the same thing. When people come over, I'm going to dress differently, talk differently, express myself differently. Um, I'm going to, you know, be, I feel it. I feel a sense of, um, discomfort and anxiety. Um, you know, albeit like I'm, I manage it and I'm very self-aware of it now. And I kind mm. of, you know, worked through it, but like when I have people over, when I'm going to somebody else's house, where I'm considered a NUSA, yeah. I, I do change myself a little bit. And that's something that I'm working on. Like I'm somebody who's very comfortable with who I am because of the work that I've done on myself and realizing that, other people's projections are based off of their own discomforts with who they are Mm -hmm. or their own values that might not align with mine. Right. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned. And the biggest thing that I try to uh, hold and uh, kind of push in therapy is this values-based approach Um, I'm really interested in like acceptance and commitment therapy, and I'm kind of getting more like into that and looking into maybe like getting trained in that method more specifically, but it's basically the idea of the decisions that I make in my life, whether those choices are behaviors or, you know, paths that I'm going down, are those decisions based out of emotion in terms of maybe like fear and avoidance or other people's expectations Mm. and maybe like fear of disappointing people. Right. Right. Or are those decisions based in my values and my core self? Oh, I think a lot of people struggle with
0: understanding the. Yeah. Between those two, there's a fine line
1: sometimes. Definitely. So I really try to encourage that even in a family-oriented culture, we are deserving of our individuality. How can I teach people to learn to desire boundaries for the sake of their self-preservation and their self-growth and their stability? Mm -hmm. And I think the hardest part is accepting the reality that. Sometimes our emotionally immature parents are not going to be with us along that ride
0: mm-hmm.
1: and maybe grieving the type of relationship that we thought we could have with them and that we wanted to have with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And understanding that, how and learning how do I reformulate my relationship with my parents if they're not willing to meet me where I'm going. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one,
0: a very, very tough one.
1: Yeah. But if we stick to learning more about ourselves and developing our own values and remaining grounded in my sense of self, despite what other people might be projecting or throwing at me, you know, I, I feel good about that. Mm -hmm. I've always been somebody to say that, like, I... I have, so I'll use my sister-in-law as an example. She is very, has a very tough exterior. She's, you know, like that typical, like Albanian mindset of like, if people cross me once, they're not going to cross me again, Mm
0: -hmm. you know?
1: And she kind of lets people know, like not to fuck with her.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: She always encouraged that in me too, because she saw the opposite in me that like, since I was a kid, she notices that I always leave the door open for people. And then I'm always kind of like understanding with them. And I will always give people multiple chances, not to the extent where I'm like letting people, she was afraid that I would let people walk all over me. Mm. So her viewpoint is if you let people back in after they have wronged you, then you are doing a disservice to yourself. You're weak. You're letting people take advantage of you. Yeah. And I say, I know for myself where that person stands in my life after they've wronged me. Mm -hmm. And I have set that boundary with them. I won't trust them as much. I won't be open with them as much in terms of like, you know, my personal business. And if it's really gets to the extent where I do need to set a firmer boundary and like not be friendly with them at all anymore, then I will do that. Mm -hmm. But I will not absorb that person's projection of who they are and change who I am in reaction to that right. because I feel that remaining grounded in myself is just as powerful. It's
0: probably one of the most powerful things you could ever. Yeah. Do. Yeah. So what does emotional maturity look like? This is the last one of the last questions. Yeah. Questions. Emotional maturity is
1: Again, that sense of groundedness that I have in knowing who I am, knowing what my values are and being able to understand that when other people are having a different set of expectations for me, that those are their values and they don't have to be more meaningful than mine. And just because it's somebody older or somebody that I look up to or somebody whose opinion I think is important that I want them to, you know, like me and like who I am. I want to have a good relationship with this person that I'm okay with understanding that we might not align on certain places and I'm going to remain firm in mine. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts from, right? Like that's the root of it of emotional immaturity is that I'm deserving of my individuality. I am content with the woman that I'm becoming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm I'm still learning and growing in that way. and I trust myself to do that. And through that firmness in my sense of self, I will remain a rooted tree in the tornado Mm -hmm. because we know that, especially with Albanians, when you're in big families and when they have a lot going on, there's a lot getting thrown around. There's a lot of chaos that happens. And when you're with surrounded by people who are emotionally immature There's blaming, there's projecting, there's anger, there's, you know, manipulation. Absolutely. It's childish because it's emotionally immature. Mm -hmm. If I understand that that's coming from, you know, those people, I'm not looking to change them. I don't need to beg for them to see my perspective. Mm-hmm. Because I know who I am, yeah that's maturity mm-hmm. I would love to have you know a conversation with my parents to get them to understand my perspective and to get them to grow in themselves, and every kid is gonna want that approval right from their parents and from anybody that they view, like as a parent, but that's not my goal. Mm-hmm. My goal is to explain myself to the extent that the boundary will be respected. And usually what happens is, you know, the person who you're talking to, like, let's say your parent, you know, has a tantrum. Basically, I call them like adult sized tantrums. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize like, like, you know, your dad getting angry and slamming something on the table and screaming at everybody. That's a tantrum. Mm -hmm. You know, your mom becoming hysterical and crying because you like are never going to get married. That's a tantrum.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: you're like so it's like you know they they do so in a way that makes you feel like you're hurting them
0: yeah oh man that's where oh
1: and it gets like
0: the manipulation comes in sometimes where they use
1: guilt yes yes but what usually happens is people back down Mm. when that happens and it reinforces the adult's behavior yes right like it's literally like imagine you're working, you're parenting a toddler. Yeah. When the kid has a tantrum and you give in, they're like, this works. I'm going to do it again.
0: Yeah. Subconsciously, they don't even realize half the time that they're doing it.
1: Yeah. So being emotionally mature is boundary setting for my emotional safety, managing expectations and understanding that I don't need them to get it, but if they want access to a relationship with me, they're gonna have to respect it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Last question. That was beautiful, by the way. Last Thank you. <laughs> is if you had anything to say to your teenage self to kind of make her her journey smoother, or just anything. You'd want to say to her. What would you say?
1: Mm. I'm. I'm so proud of like the powerhouse that I always was, and I. I do want to give my family credit for that for not stifling that, mm. um, because I think it's tough to raise a hard headed teenage girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And I'm, I, I, I love that part of myself. So I would encourage that. I would continue to encourage that confidence that I had. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would also want to try to teach her to not seek validation externally as much. Um, I think I was very grounded for a teenager in a lot of ways that is surprising when I think back on it. And even as a little kid, I would, you know, like even stand up to like teachers if I had to, like, I, you know, I was, I was generally like a, a good kid, you know, I maybe like talked too much when I was in class. That was always on my report card, talking too much into classmates, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I feel like what I'm learning as a a woman is that I put a lot of my value in, um, like my external appearance. And that was definitely encouraged by my, our culture time for me as well. And I, I would definitely want to kind of extinguish that flame a little bit And I love that this generation is doing that a lot. They are working on self-love and body image and Mm -hmm. challenging the notion that like, you know, societally and we're moving in the direction where women don't have to be, you know, ultra thin and have this like perfect, you know, appearance in order to be valued. Mm hmm. And I think the whole, like what we were talking about before, the whole hullabaloo about like, you have to look and act this way at weddings because people are going to watch you. Like this idea of what people are going to think and say. Yeah. Like I'm on display. Yeah. And that's why I want to, that's why I love this approach of like these values driven behaviors and decisions, because if I feel good about who I am and I do now, then I don't need to worry about what I look like to other people because their opinion is based off of their worldview their perspective their values mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that and and that's helped with my anger a lot too right when I realize that it's not actually about me it's about that person and what mm, they're experiencing yes. and they're allowed to have that they're entitled to that right
0: yeah so important
1: yeah so like other people's opinions of me, has nothing to do with me Mm -hmm. that's what I would probably work on the most
0: yeah beautiful thank you so much how do people get a hold of you how do people are you taking clients like where are you I'm all right
1: now which is like really cool. But at the same time, I've had to like respond to people that I can't take them on. And that's like the saddest thing to me. Mm -hmm. And I keep like racking my brain about like, how can I do more? How can I maybe make like a group or I don't know, but right now I am not taking new clients. Um, But I think the instagram live and the podcast is my way of kind of like making up for that Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like i want to be able to talk to people and kind of reach people so my instagram is therapy with ariana that was supposed to be a temporary name until i came up with something like really cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 so everyone can follow my page um I'm really not that good at responding to messages or using it, but I do want to, you know, to post stuff, but I do want to use it more for like the interactive piece, Mm -hmm. maybe doing more like Instagram live sessions. And that's kind of how I want to like volunteer my time a little bit and Mm -hmm. kind of give back to the community in that way. Um, so yeah, follow my Instagram page. Um, even though I'm not taking new clients, I am more than happy to help Guide people in finding a therapist because it's so difficult to navigate. A lot of times people don't know where to start. So, even if you're just looking to get started, please reach out to me and be like, I have no clue what website to look on. I don't understand my insurance. And I'm more than happy to help in that way too. Okay.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm going to link her Instagram and information in the show notes. So, thank you so much this was honestly amazing like
1: thank you it went in so many different directions I told you I go off on tangents no no <laughs> like, it
0: went so many honestly different directions. <laughs> it felt like it flowed to me so it was perfect yeah. thank you so much thank you we'll talk soon all right bye Ariana if you felt like this episode was helpful to you please send to your friends post on social media like subscribe help us keep this show going i would really appreciate it okay thanks bye